One of the, this is, as I said, and I'm praying, this is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, and, and what we're going to do, uh, we're kind of at that awkward time with Christmas, we'll take a little bit of a break and do some other things as we get into the Advent season, but it, in God's providence, we'll be in John 3.16 next week, which is a great Advent text, and so, uh, so we'll start John 3 uh, today. We'll just deal with John 3.16. I'll say more about that later uh, next Sunday, and then we'll start the new year coming back in, in verse 16 and following and move forward in John. But I, I was not quite born yet when uh, Jimmy Carter made his first run for president. Um, I was born the year that he was elected. And, or the, the, that he was inaugurated as president. Uh, but it was during his presidential bid that uh, the phrase born again really, from what I understand, really came into popular usage. Uh, he announced during his campaign that he was a born again Christian. And that's something that every president since Jimmy Carter has claimed to be as a born again believer. Up to that point, it, it seems that, that that phrase, born again, was kind of an evangelical password. It was something that we used, that the church used, and, and with the Jesus movement, it was kind of becoming a little more popular, but it became common lingo after uh, Jimmy Carter, and then Charles Colson came out with the book uh, with that title, Born Again, in the same year. Um, and, it, and the phrase has fell into common use, and it it became applied not just to Christians, but in other areas. So you would see this expression show up, and you'd, you'd hear, you'd see articles about born-again companies. And that doesn't mean that the CEO or the president or the founder was born-again Christian, but but it would just mean that it was a company that went from maybe near bankruptcy, and and it's it, it and they got their act together, and now they're doing great. It would be like blockbuster video making a comeback or something like that. So I don't anticipate that. Um, uh, but you, you would, you would read about born again athletes. Again, I'm not talking about Christian athletes, but those who, those who made some major comeback from an injury or from, uh, something like that or a team. Um, and so when Jesus talked about rebirth though, being born again, he wasn't describing, he wasn't describing people who found the power within themselves to kind of pick themselves up and dust themselves off and, and make good somehow out of a very bad situation. That's not what he's talking about. It's not turning over a new leaf or getting a new lease on life, that kind of language, making a comeback. That's not the rebirth as Jesus speaks of it. So but that's how it's come to be understood. And and there's other variations of how it's made its way into popular culture and the way that it's perceived by others. So many people think of born again as being as describing a, a kind of a particular type of Christian. And so you have lots of different Christians and there are some who are born again Christians as if it's just defining this one small slice of the pie of Christianity. Well, that's not true at all. We know and we'll see that there is no such thing as a as a Christian who's not born again. And that's what Jesus is going to make very clear today. Uh, And today, while it was popular uh, maybe during Jimmy Carter's day and for many years since, it's not popular, as popular anymore, to be called born again. It has become uh, the butt of many jokes and and we're seen as kind of fundamentalist wackos and that kind of thing. But 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 what the sad reality is, is that one of the greatest biblical terms 
has has been hijacked and and emptied of its meaning in a lot of sense. Now, my aim this morning is not to to rail on um, how how born again has been distorted by the world. That is not my agenda this morning. My aim is for us to 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 have the wonder and the, and the of the mystery of the new birth restored to us that we would see it and and, and delight in it and for those who have not experienced it that you would experience it. That's how I've been praying for us uh today as in preparation for today. So when we talk about being born again, we talk about the new birth. There's no better passage to go to. This is not the only passage. There are many places in the New Testament that talk about the new birth, but there's no clearer passage on the matter than right here in John chapter 3. In John 3, we have this part of a conversation or parts of a conversation that's recorded for us by the by the Apostle John of this conversation between Nicodemus and our Lord. And so here's the thing. Nicodemus, though, he did not need to make a comeback that's not what we find when we find Nicodemus here. That's not the, that popular idea of, of being born again. He was at the peak of his religious career. He had everything going for him. He was the very top of God's people. He achieved everything a person could want in life and in that context. And yet Jesus says, you lack the most important thing, Nicodemus. The new birth. And so we're going to eavesdrop on this conversation that took place in one April evening in Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Now, the structure of, of these 15 verses, and you'll be able to see it very plainly. There, Jesus issues these three uh, specific statements, and they all begin the same way. Truly, truly, I say to you. That's how it is in the ESV and I think the New American Standard and maybe your Bible translated. That's a, that's a very literal rendering. It's verse 3, verse 5, verse 11. Jesus issues these solemn statements. And, and that's kind of the, he's, he's pointing out the problem that Nicodemus has and what he needs to do about it. And so, uh, one translation says, I tell the, I tell you the solemn truth. That's a good rendering of that phrase. And so, Jesus doesn't, what, and, and why he's beginning these statements in that way, and what he's doing, he's saying, listen, I don't want you to miss this. This is so important. When he's, when you see that, truly, truly, I say to you, he's just saying, listen, Putting his hands on their shoulders, shaking them a little bit in love, but saying, you gotta get this. And so that's what we want to see the Lord do to us today, is just shake us a little bit so that we see we're not, we're not just kind of numb by the common lingo of the new birth, but we get it again, and it's fresh to us again. And so, may the Lord help us to that end. So the first solemn truth that we see is in verses 1 to 3, and it's, and I've stated it this way, is that we've gotta embrace the must of the new birth. Embrace the must of the new birth. Verse 1, let's see our context again. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So we're introduced to this man, Nicodemus, here, and we'll meet him again in uh, the Gospel of John. So just remember remember what we talk about here. Um, Nicodemus was one of the leading men in Israel. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the council of 70 men who basically ruled over the affairs of, of the nation of Israel. They, they were, they had authority over every Jew in the world. This, this council of 70. So this was a big position to have. Most of the, of the members of the Sanhedrin were part of the party of the Pharisees. And John is quick to point out that Nicodemus was one of those, which meant he was one of the best of the best. And so he's a Pharisee. He's one, he's, he's regarded by, would have been regarded by every Jew in his day as being one of the most righteous men in the world. 
And so he's this Pharisee on the Sanhedrin, one of the, one of the rulers of the Jews, uh, one of the MVPs of religion and morality. They, they, they were almost untouchable when it came to purity and devotion to the Lord. That's how they were regarded. He paid his tithes. He did everything he could to keep the law. He, not just the, the written law of, 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 of God's word, but even the tradition of the elders. He was down to the letter. He was, he was pursuing uh, to, to, to obey what God had instructed his people. And so even Jesus recognized the tremendous religious efforts of the Pharisees. And so you have in Matthew 5.20... 5 verse 20 says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But what that does show is, if you want the bar, if you want to show the highest we can put the bar, it's right there. It's the scribes and Pharisees. And, and let me tell you, folks, not one of us could, could exceed that. We'd have a better chance of beating Usain Bolt in the foot race than we would have of exceeding the Pharisees. And when it came to righteousness, it's just not, it wouldn't happen. And so this is one of the greatest religious and moral men in Israel. Highly respected. And from extra-biblical literature, we know that he was a very wealthy man, um, and, and, and according to tradition. And that's not a surprise for a man in this position. For wealth was seen as a sign of God's favor, and, and, and he had opportunities. He was, it, the tradition says he was the third wealthiest man in Jerusalem at that time. So he had more money than he knew what to do with. And so he's wealthy. He's highly respected. He's well known, not just in Jerusalem, but around the, uh, throughout the whole nation of Israel. Everybody knew him. So if Nicodemus was walking down the street, people would spot him and parents would pull their kids and say, hey, look, there's Nicodemus. Like we, we're, we're always looking around Fayette County now, looking for celebrities and movie stars. And, and uh, of course, in Sonoya, it's just zombie. I mean, how can you tell a zombie when he's not in costume? I don't know, uh, one of those actors. But um, but this is, this is, he had it all going from the out, judging Nicodemus from the outside. He had everything going for him, but this is the reality. Nicodemus saw himself from the inside out and you knew something was missing. I think that's the, I think that's what's going on. So he goes to Jesus secretly. And he goes under the cover of darkness. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him. Now, as I just picture some movie scene there, there's back alleys and it's kind of slinking in the shadows, trying to, trying to go in and find Jesus. And every, one of the things we'll see in John, every time we see Nicodemus mentioned, he's coming to Jesus at night. <laughs> it's interesting. Why, why, why is that true? And why does John point that out? Well, I think it's just, he, he, there was this reluctance to be seen with Jesus during the daylight. Certainly at this time, he didn't want to be seen by to- people talking to Jesus. He didn't want to answer their questions. Why are you talking to that radical? After all, Nicodemus is one of the greatest men in Israel, as we said. And, and here he is going and finding this other professed teacher. So look at how he addresses Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know, look at that, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. So he shows Jesus tremendous respect. He calls him a teacher, Rabbi. And, and not just, not just a teacher, but one who has come from God. And so I know we, we weren't quick to kind of ding on Nicodemus here. Oh, he just, he just saw Jesus as a teacher. No. He's come to Jesus. He's come, I think, with an awareness of his need. 
Not fully at this time, but he has some sense of that. And he's come and he's saying, you're not just a teacher. We, we, I say you're a teacher that's come from God. And, and, and so in, in some sense, Nicodemus believes or at least says that God has sent Jesus to teach his, to teach his people. And you think about it. Who is Nicodemus? He is the teacher in Israel. If, if, if there's a teacher in Israel, who is he, who is he going to be trained by? It's going to be Nicodemus and others like him. And yet here he is saying, you've come from God. And he also acknowledges Jesus' miracles that he did at the Passover and has been performing in front of the people in the temple. And that, and these miracles, he says, they prove that God is with him. He's with you. Not just that God gave Jesus the power to do these things, but, but the, the, the signs show that God was with him, that God was for him, that God was in approval of what he was doing. So this is a lofty statement. And so Nicodemus recognized there's something entirely unique about Jesus, something divine even. God sent him. God is with him. And and it seems clear uh, what we see here is that Nicodemus has he just is beginning to talk to Jesus. He he's kind of he's he's affirming what he thinks to be true about Jesus. And he has more to say, though. He probably had a prepared statement. Maybe he had questions. Maybe he had um, requests. Maybe he had concerns or criticisms or. Or boasting, I don't know. We don't know what Nicodemus came to tell Jesus because he just gets started and then Jesus interrupts him. <laughs> I was just thinking of it's like this with parents. We, you know what your kid is going to come to ask you, but they come and they, you know, they, Daddy, I love you and you know I'd do anything for you and you, we just stop right there. No, you can't take the car. Uh, you know what they're, you know what they're coming for and so you just kind of cut them off. Well, that's kind of what Jesus, so, so Nicodemus just starts speaking. We, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. We know that you perform these signs and that's evidence that God is with you. And Jesus just steps in and says, Jesus answered him. Jesus answered him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of God, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that again, that's that first solemn statement. It's the must of the new birth. You must be born again. Jesus knew what was, he knew what was in man. We saw this at the end of chapter 2. And that was all men. Jesus knew it was in every man. He knows what Nicodemus is thinking. He knows what he's coming to ask him. And or what he's going to say. And he cuts right to the core issue of this religious celebrity here. And he gets right after. He says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you will see the kingdom of God. Born again. There's that expression. Again. That Now that little uh, statement, little word again. It can have different senses in the Greek text, which is what the Bible was, the New Testament was originally written in. It can mean from above, in the sense that it came that they were born from God, and that and there are some translations that translate it that way. And so the New Revised Standard Version, if you're using that, if that's how it, they translate that. It can mean new in the sense of being radically new, radical transformation. So it's not that these little moral reformations are going to cut. It's not our New Year's resolutions where we just kind of eh, make a little extra effort to, to try to make some for self-improvement. That's not it. No, it's got to be this totally new birth. So that that sense is sometimes there with this little word again. Or it could mean uh, again in the sense of a second time. And that's how most of your uh, translations, most of your Bible versions translated. And, and in reality, all of those are correct. Uh, uh, you know, they have to pick one. And so most English versions pick that 
that, that third one because of Nicodemus's response here. And he, that's the meaning that he picks up on, and I think that's what Jesus, I mean, I think that's what we need to understand this is, is saying. If there was anyone, though, prepared to enter the kingdom of God, and this is what I want you to see, it was Nicodemus. And yet he wasn't prepared. He, there was something missing there. And so he was the best that Judaism had to offer, and yet he couldn't cut it. He couldn't get in. It wasn't enough. He needed something more. He needed something else. And what he needed to be born again, what he needed to see the kingdom of God was to be born again. And that's what Jesus is saying. And so if the if the new birth is a must for Nicodemus, what does that mean for the rest of us? It's a must for everybody. And that's what, a, that's what we see. Man's nature, just human nature, it makes the new birth a must. It requires it. If anybody needed to be born again, didn't need to be born again, it was Nicodemus. Drunkards, absolutely. Tax collectors, without question. Uh, Florida Gator fans, absolutely. You know, everybody, you know, we could say, but Nicodemus, no. He's the best of the best. And Jesus says, no. And so I'd say this, that neither riches, nor respectability, nor religion are sufficient to save us. They're not sufficient to bring us into the kingdom. And, and we're rich, folks. We, we, we have what Nicodemus had and to some degree. And, and one of the things that we tend to do is we interpret our life of ease as kind of a sign of God's favor. And isn't it interesting how we do, we do equate riches with morality. We may not draw some straight line to it like they did in, in Nicodemus's day, but I think the wealthy tend to have, and we are all as we look across the world, wealthy, we tend to have some kind of can look down our noses at people and and when we have more resources we tend to think that we we deserve more. We have this sense of entitlement. But that's it's, it's, that's not that's not gonna cut it. So it's not wealth. Riches aren't enough and, and and you may have a good name among men. You may be respected and have a great reputation. That's not enough. You may be religious and very moral and, and you're here every Sunday and you do all of the stuff and you've you've been doing it your whole life and and for generations in your family, that's not enough. It's not enough. And I don't say this to insult you or to belittle, belittle you, but I plead with you to listen to Jesus here. You cannot have enough. You cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough to enter the kingdom of God, to earn your way in. Salvation comes only through the new birth. And that's what, that's what, where Jesus is starting. It's a, it's a must. You, there's no other way. No matter what you do, no matter how good you are, no matter how moral you are, you are still a sinner. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not one. He goes on in verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, death spread to all men because all men sin. We're all sinners. You can't do anything to change what you are. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. Every one of us is born into the world that way. So the new birth is a must. By the virtue of our nature. That's who we are. That's how we're born. It's not a take it or leave it proposition. It's not a one of many ways to enter God's kingdom. For those of us that can't hack it by being good enough or moral enough or religious enough. So this is how we got to go in. That's not it. It is a divine must for everybody. So that's it. So the human nature makes it a must. God's kingdom makes it a must. And I'll be quick here. That only the new birth can prepare us for a new kingdom. That's what he's saying. 
We don't enter the kingdom like, you know, you high school graduates are trying to enter into college and filling out applications and, and doing that. You're trying to, you're trying to plead the merits of your high school career and, and, and boast of your accomplishments. That's not how we enter the kingdom. We come with nothing. <laughs> we sing a song, an old hymn, Rock of Ages. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. It's him alone. We bring nothing. Then he goes on. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, awful. I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And that's how that's how we enter. We need we need a new birth. We don't come pleading our own merits. We come just humbly, low. Jesus said at the beginning of the sermon, "Now the first beatitude: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven." That the door to the kingdom is low, very, very, very low. We don't come walking in head held high with our accomplishments and our religious trophies and our moral accolades and our respectability and our reputation. We come low like a newborn baby through the new birth. So embrace that. Embrace the, the must of it. Don't, don't buck against that. Don't let that grate on you, but in, embrace it because of who you are and because of what God's kingdom is. That's first thing. Second solemn truth we see is in, is is there in, in verse um, in verse five, and so Jesus answered him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, verse three, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God." Well, that leaves Nicodemus very confused, and so Nicodemus said to him, "How can a man be born when he is old? How can he can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born?" And so this is the second truth that I want us to see is it is it, it and the thing we need to do is to marvel at the mystery of the new birth. That's what Jesus is going to explain to Nicodemus is there's mystery that's involved in, in being born again. And so Nicodemus here imagines himself going back into his mother's womb, being born a second time. And I'm guessing his mother would veto that plan right there. Um, and and so and I don't think that Nicodemus actually thought that as a grown man he was going to somehow go back in utero or something like that. And I don't think that's his point. But the point is Nicodemus didn't get it. He, he didn't understand. What, what are you talking about, Jesus? Some kind of sarcasm here, I think. But he didn't know what in the world Jesus was talking about. Born again? It sounds ridiculous. It's just mystery. And the new birth is mysterious, isn't it? Even we who've experienced it through faith in Jesus Christ, it, we don't truly understand everything about it, everything that's happened, how it works. And, and, and so Jesus is expounding upon the mystery of the new birth. And if, and if Jesus' statement in verse 3, you must be born again, was confusing to Nicodemus, and what Jesus says in verses 5 through 6, they're confusing to us. And so he says, Jesus answered, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, here's that solemn truth, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What does that mean? What's intended to clarify things for Nicodemus just kind of adds confusion for us. What does it mean to be born of water and Born of spirit. What are, what are we doing to make of this? And there's different understandings of this. 
Some equate water with baptism. And so you have to be baptized and regenerated to enter the kingdom of God. To, 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 and that's what, it, that's what Jesus is saying. And there are different ways with, of saying that. Some, there are those denominations like the Church of Christ, and maybe you come from that background. Uh, that, that's, and there are others like them, but they say that baptism is necessary for salvation. We, we, uh, Brooke and I went to a Baptist college in Abilene, Texas, but uh, there was a Abilene Christian University, a big Church of Christ University, and we had several college students that came over and participated with us that came from Church of Christ backgrounds. And, and we had many, I had many discussions with these students who were just steeped in that uh, that that view of baptism that it's it's salvific that that's how you're saved is through baptism and so uh, this was one of those texts that they would go to uh, I don't I don't think that's what's saying but others or even evangelical believers would say well baptism's not sufficient that's what Jesus is saying he's talking about baptism but he's saying it's not sufficient you need regeneration too you can't just have the symbol you need the the meaning the reality that's behind the symbol. And I agree with that completely, but I don't think that that's what Jesus is talking about. I think that's kind of forcing that into this passage. And so others say, no, the water is cleansing. It's not literal water like baptism. It's, it's, it's a spiritual cleansing that God, that God does in our hearts of conversion. And they you go to passages like Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27 there. Yeah, writer Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean and I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit within you. And so uh, when water is used in the Old Testament, especially when it's connected with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's referring to that cleansing work of the heart. And so Jesus is talking then about the cleansing of the soul that the Holy Spirit does at conversion. Now, oh, again, I agree that that is true. And it may be the intended Kind of deeper meeting. We've seen this in John. We'll continue to see it. There's that, there's that, this meaning, and then there's kind of a deeper meaning, another meaning. And, um, and, uh, and, and that may be the case here. Uh, I tend to think that this is a little more plain. I, I, I equate water to physical birth. I think that's what he's saying. You've got to, you've got to be born, and you've got to be born again. And that's why I translated born again, um, and what Jesus is saying here. You must be born twice. Physically once, spiritually again. Now, some say, well, that's kind of, we're, we're, we're pushing our knowledge of the human birth process upon the text here, and we know about ambiotic fluid and those kinds of things, but, but Nicodemus, this just seems to be what he's thinking. I mean, he seems to get it, and, 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 and given the context, I, I think he got it in water, flesh, parallel, verse 6, and, um, and so, I think what Jesus is doing is pointing to this natural reality of human birth, physical birth, and he's, He's using that to point to this greater spiritual reality, the mystery of the new birth. I think that's what's happening and comparing it. So it's like a baby's birth. If you want to know the mystery of the new birth, it's like a baby's birth. And physical birth is a mystery, isn't it? Even doctors who are experts and who specialize in this field of human birth, they, they don't know how it all works. There's mystery involved in it. I got to go see the Millers on Thursday and told little Kinsley and this is crazy. How does this happen? Uh, there's, there's just mystery there and and so birth it, it provides several just a couple things to note about that it, it provides life as we compare the spiritual rebirth to the physical birth. It provides life. Babies who are born have new life. So spiritual birth provides rebirth provides a person with spiritual life. 
1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So there's, there's life that comes with this spiritual birth. It only happens once. I mean, physically speaking, you can only be born one time. And all the mothers said, Amen. Yeah, exactly. And, and spiritually, the same is true. Your spiritual birth is one time for all time experience. You, it's not to be repeated. It's not, it can't be undone. Another connection is it, it takes the, it takes place, birth takes place because of the suffering of another. A mother enters in the very jaws of death to give birth to, to a child. And Jesus, he enters the cruel jaws of death on the cross so that we might be born again. The new birth rests squarely on the suffering and pain of another. And finally, I just say it gives that birth gives the infant a brand new start. Babies come into this world without a past. They only have a future. What is what are we told over many different places? But I was thinking of Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That when you get saved, you, you get a new start, new life. There's that comparison. So, so he compares the new birth to human birth, and then he compares it to wind. This is how he goes on to describe the mystery. So, verse seven. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So it's like a breeze. There's mystery in birth, there's mystery in wind. The wind can be felt, you can hear it, you can hear the rustling of the leaves anyway. You can, you can measure it, you can see its effects, but you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it goes, you don't know what makes it go where it goes. There's a lot we don't know about the wind. It's a wild thing. Even today, winds can be forecast with general accuracy. So you can turn on the news and Levin Alive and they can tell you it's gonna, it's gonna be, you know, winds 15 to 20 miles per hour tomorrow and they can give you a whizometer reading, which I'm like, I don't know if you watch 11 Alive, but are we really that dumb that we need you to give me a number? I can't tell from the temperature and the sun and how nice of a day it is out there. Um, anyway, sorry. A uh, little frustration of mine. So, so we can kind of tell in general what the wind's doing in patterns and weather patterns, but there's not a meteorologist on the planet who can say at, at 10.58 and 13 seconds, there's going to be a... 22.73 mile per hour gust at the northeast corner of Corinth Road in 54. You, you, you cannot, and it will never be. The wind will never be predicted with that kind of accuracy. We, we don't understand the wind. There's mystery to it. Um, I was over my vacation reading for Thanksgiving was reading David McCullough's book, The Wright Brothers. And, um, and it was fascinating just to look at the beginning of flight and all of the challenges that were involved and all of the skeptics that said this is just absolute idiocy to think that man is ever going to be able to, um, to conquer the wind. That's basically was the challenge. How do we ride the wind? And that's how it was seen. And, 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 and that was one of the greatest challenges to early flying was the unpredictability of wind. 
You're not flying in a controlled wind tunnel. Things change. There's always fluctuations in wind. There's always variables in the wind. And, 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 and so it makes a plane, if it's not prepared for that, just this death trap. And many died doing just that. And so, so, so this is, this is what Jesus says. It's the, the new birth. It's like, it's like the wind. There's mystery there. Nobody's seen it. We only see the difference that it makes in a person's life. And it's supernatural. It's from above. It's it's nothing that we control. It's the free movement of the Spirit of God that He causes rebirth. No amount of effort can produce it. Nicodemus couldn't make this happen by his own great efforts at religion or morality. It's not possible. Spirit blows where He wills. And so Nicodemus, and this is what Jesus said, Nicodemus, you should have known this. You know better. Nicodemus said to them, how can these things be? How is this possible? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? It's all over the Old Testament. This is what Nicodemus was to be an expert in. Ezekiel 37, 9 and 10. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them. And, and they lived and stood on their feet in an exceedingly great army. So God, God's wind passes over these dry bones and they come to life. That's what we need. We need, we need life in us. The Spirit of God does that. We don't need a religious code. We don't need more rules. It doesn't do us any good if we're dead. Those are, those things are fine if you have life. But if you're dead, there's nothing, they, they do, they do nothing but to show us our death, to show us our guilt. What we need is life that only God can give. And that's what the new birth brings. Now, so it's mystery. Just because the new birth is mystery though, doesn't mean it's not reality. Get that. It, it, just because you can't fully comprehend it doesn't mean that you shouldn't embrace it. I mean, I don't understand the internet. <laughs> I have no idea how in the world that works. And, and, and the, the technology and the communication abilities. I mean, Carson was talking on the phone or through some app to Malachi. We were driving down the side of a mountain in Colorado and he's talking to Malachi for free. On Brooke's phone. I, I don't understand that. I mean, he's mind blown. And there's no lag. But but that doesn't mean that I avoid it. Uh, and so so it is. There are, there are many things we don't fully understand in life. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't believe in them. Embrace them. Jesus says there's mystery in the new birth. But 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 it, 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 it embrace it. Marvel at that. And this is what he goes on. He, he doesn't just leave Nicodemus there. It's mysterious now. Go figure that out. No, he points him. The next solemn truth he's going to point in Nicodemus. What do you need to do? What do you need to do? And that's the last statement here. Don't miss the means of the new birth. Don't miss the means. Final solemn truth is the response to Nicodemus' question there. How? How? How can these things be? How is this possible? And he's going to, Jesus is going to explain to Nicodemus how, how the new birth can become a reality for him. Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. 
the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What's the means of the new birth? Well, I think it's here very clear. It's three times in this passage. It's it's believe. It's believe. That's what Nicodemus needs to do. He needs to believe in the one that God lifts up. And so, what is the role of the Savior? And what is the role of the sinner here? The role of the Savior, his part, is to be lifted up. To leave the glories of heaven. to, To descend into this world. To come into this world. To be tempted to sin just as we are. To yet to live a perfect life and to be raised up. On the cross, suffer in our place. Die as our substitute for our sin. That's what Jesus did for you and for me and for Nicodemus. To lift up, that's normally used to exalt a person. Someone of fame, renown, to, to extol them. And here, in Jesus' case, the exaltation is going to, become, going to come, but it's going to come after being lifted up on the cross. And so he's going to be lifted up and presented to the world as God's saving object of faith. That's what's happening on the cross. And that, and as Patrick referenced, that, that scene that Jesus has in mind is there in Numbers 21. We don't have time to really go there and work through that text. But, but as Patrick alluded, Israel is sinning. They're, they're complaining and they're, they're idolatrous. And so God sends these snakes in among them to bite them. People are dying. Many in Israel are dying. I mean, just imagine that scene. What an awful period for God's people. There's not many. We all get the heebie-jeebies, I think, about snakes. I don't think anybody just says, man, I love, I just would love to be surprised by a snake in the middle of the night walking to the bathroom. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, but here, these poisonous snakes, and this is God's judgment on his people, discipline of his people. The people cry out to God for mercy. God, help. Have mercy on us, Lord. And God does show mercy. And he tells Moses to, to, to make this bronze serpent and to lift it up on a pole so that the people could look at it. And so Jesus is saying he's like the bronze serpent. It's God's, God's, it's, it's God's mercy that God has sent his son to be lifted up, to be looked upon on the cross. And that's the role of the Savior. So what's the role of the sinner? What do we do when we see the Son of Man lifted up? What do we do? We're to believe in Him. Just like those in Israel who had been bitten by the snakes and who were dying. All they had to do was look and live. Look and live. Imagine, again, imagine what that was like. This look of faith that brought life to those who were dying. So if you've, if you've, if you've not experienced the new birth, that is necessary for entering the kingdom of God. What Jesus says, you believe. Believe in me. It's been done. Jesus is, Jesus is, his role has been fulfilled perfectly. Jesus has paid it all. He's done it all. He's done his part. Now believe. It's 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Believe in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you, have you experienced the new birth? Have you been born again? You can be today. There's not some class you have to take. There's not some formula you have to recite. It's not some, some 
moral reformation you have to take care of first. You just trust in Christ today. You can know life. So if you're, if you're interested, you, you, you don't have to wait on maybe you can pray right now and just confess, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need grace. I need help. Thank you for sending your son. He died in my place. He rose from the dead. And I, I put all my confidence in what Christ did for me. I'm not, I can't, I've been trying too long to be good enough and trying to, to earn your favor and it's, it's never gonna work. I, if Nicodemus couldn't do it, I can't do it. Lord, I need grace. I need forgiveness. And you offer it through Jesus Christ. I trust you. You can do that right now. If you want to talk with me or someone else sitting around you, do it after the service and, and we would love to share more. But here's the reality and we're going to close. Uh, the reality is that we all have people around us who are still in darkness. Like Nicodemus, they're still dead in their sins and, and, and they may be moral people, they may be very religious people, church going people, they, they may have tremendous respect for Jesus just like Nicodemus did, but they've not put their confidence in Christ. They've not experienced a new birth. They've not. They've not. And so, I, and what I'm urging you is, is to do. We're coming into the Advent season, and that's what the next couple of weeks will be Advent sermons and singing Christmas songs and familiar songs. And so, I, I think next week we're in John 3:16. I'll just see that as the Lord's providence, and we're and we're just going to look at one verse, maybe 16 and 17, and we'll look at its context, but mostly focusing on verse 16. And just and just be an opportunity for us to invite neighbors and friends and family members and classmates and to come and hear the simple gospel of Jesus Christ and calling on uh, folks to believe and have life in the one who so loved the world that he sent his own son. And so uh, you can we have those invite cards, the gospel of John have little eyeglasses and it says believe on there. And so those are uh, around, certainly downstairs. We have the Gospel of John booklets on the literature rack downstairs. So take one of those cards, take take some of those cards, take some of those booklets. Uh, use social media, but I would really, again, encourage all of us to consider if there's people in our lives that we've been praying for and talking with. This would be a great Sunday next week to invite them to come. And, and may the Lord be pleased. Um, both Friday night with the ladies' tea. Let's pray for that outreach event and, and for next Sunday as we gather again. May the Lord be pleased to cause some to be born again to this living hope um, through Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, for those in here who do know Christ and who have trusted in Him. Thank you for the, the new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but that we've been raised to new life through Jesus Christ. What a, what a glorious gift and one for which we, we can spend the, we will spend the rest of eternity just extolling you and your worth and with gratitude in our hearts for the salvation that is ours, Lord. And yet help us, God, not to just sit on that and, and, and be silent, but when we have others around us who have not, who have not received that gift of life through Christ, may we be burdened to pray and to plead and to, uh, to, to, to pursue people around us, Lord, that haven't, haven't tasted the kindness of God and urge them to believe in Jesus Christ. Give us boldness just to do the simple thing of inviting someone to worship with us next week and to sing Christmas songs and to hear um, this verse that almost everybody knows and has heard. Um, may you be pleased to save sinners as a result of this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.